Big tent. President Biden lays out his sweeping agenda. It's time to grow the economy from the bottom and the middle out. But as challenges grow, is he open to a different approach? I'll speak with President Biden's senior advisor, Anita Dunn, and in a rare one-on-one interview, moderate Republican Senator Susan Collins. Next, and a divided house. Republicans look to punish leaders who broke with former President Trump as the House Minority Leader doubles down on the big lie and a lot of big little lies. In today's Republican Party, is there room for anyone else? I'll speak with Biden backer and the wife of the late Senator John McCain, Cindy McCain, next. Plus, waiting to exhale. The number of U.S. COVID deaths hits the lowest rate in months, but vaccination rates are also starting to slow. How can the U.S. make the case to those who are hesitant to get the shot? Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is trying to build bridges, literally and figuratively. President Biden's massive multi-trillion dollar plans for the nation's infrastructure, as well as his plan to expand social safety net programs, are now being put to the test in a Congress more divided than at any time in modern history, as polls show a majority of Americans do nonetheless want political leaders to prioritize being bipartisan over achieving everything they want to accomplish. For many in the Republican Party, however, the focus seems to be elsewhere. Too many continuing to embrace this culture of lying about Biden's proposals, about the election, about the vaccine, about the insurrection, and punishing their fellow Republican lawmakers who don't demonstrate adequate fealty to former President Trump, including on Saturday, booing the Republican presidential nominee from 2012, Mitt Romney. I'll talk to key moderate Republican Senator Susan Collins about the state of her party and whether bipartisanship is possible on the urgent issues facing the nation. That's ahead. But first, let's start with Biden's policy goals, all of which, frankly, face an uncertain future in the U.S. Senate. Might that lead to a change in tactics? Joining me now is senior advisor to President Biden, Anita Dunn. Anita, thanks for joining us today. So Democratic Senator Joe Manchin said on this show last week that he wants Biden's infrastructure bill divided up so that there will be included in it a separate package focused on traditional infrastructure. Are are you looking into going that route, splitting up the packages so you can at least get one bill, infrastructure, passed with bipartisan support in Congress? Good morning, Jake, and thank you for having me on this very beautiful Sunday in Washington. President Biden has been clear that he knows this is a negotiation, that he knows that Um, negotiation requires compromise at some point, and that he wants to move this package forward in a bipartisan way, if that's possible. He had a very good conversation with um, West Virginia Senator um, Capito at the end of last week. She and some of her Republican colleagues had stepped forward with a counterproposal package that does focus around traditional infrastructure. And this is something we plan to have serious discussions with Senator Capito and her colleagues. Mm -hmm. The president has said his red line is in action, that we cannot afford not to make these investments in America's economy, in America's workers, in good jobs for workers. We've talked about infrastructure for years. Democrats and Republicans both acknowledge we need to make these investments in making our economy competitive with the global economy. So we're looking forward to having discussions. We are open to people's ideas. This is discussion time and idea time for the White House. So Biden invited Senate Republicans to meet with him again at the White House for infrastructure negotiations later this month. He has said 
it's a no-go if they're only willing to agree to one-fourth or one-fifth of what he's proposed, which is $2.3 trillion. Now, as you note, uh, Senator Capito has put together a proposal. It's about $600 billion. Would the president be willing to go down from $2.3 trillion to, say, $8 trillion in order to reach compromise? I'm not asking you to negotiate with me, but are you saying that there is a possibility of meeting in the middle somewhere when it comes to how much money to be spent? The president has been clear that he is willing to negotiate, that he's willing to compromise, and that he believes that Democrats and Republicans should be able to find common ground on these common goals for our country, goals that both parties agree on, that they believe we need to fix these roads and bridges, but we also need to build the infrastructure for the future. And that means rural areas need broadband as much as um, urban areas do for an affordable cost. Mm -hmm. It means that we need to get the lead out of drinking water. It is unconscionable that in 2021 we still have so many children who are drinking out of um, fountains at their schools where you have water going through um, pipes that have lead in them still. So there is a lot of agreement here, Jake. And I think that what we are going to do at the White House and what President Biden has clearly said he wants to do is to look for those areas of agreement and to build on those. I want to turn to uh, mask wearing, because despite new CDC guidelines saying that fully vaccinated people like the president generally do not need to wear masks outdoors or even if they're indoors with small groups of people who are also vaccinated. But President Biden doesn't seem to be following that. Uh, He got his shot months ago. He still wears a mask walking outside in public appearances. He still wears a mask indoors with people who are also vaccinated. Former Baltimore Health Commissioner Dr. Lena Wen warns that that could actually discourage people from getting vaccinated. Quote, at best, she says, it makes public health measures seem performative rather than science-based. At worst, it calls vaccine efficacy into question. Should the president start following these guidelines and stop wearing a mask outdoors, stop wearing a mask indoors when with small groups of other vaccinated Americans to show the American people, there's a benefit to getting the vaccine. You can take the mask off. Jake, you know, it's it's interesting that you raise this. I myself found that I was still wearing my mask outdoors this week because it has become such a matter of habit. I think the president takes the CDC guidelines very seriously, and he's always taken his role as sending a signal to follow the science very seriously as well. You know, we do take some extra precautions for him because he is the president of the United States. But I would say that people should follow the CDC guidelines and they should take advantage of getting the vaccine, getting fully vaccinated and taking that mask off, particularly as the weather grows so beautiful and we all want to be outside. It's a lot more fun to take that outside walk without a mask, that outside bike ride. And I think that as people get vaccinated, they're enjoying it and they're enjoying that freedom. So as we move forward, I think that you will see more and more people enjoying that freedom, getting the vaccine and realizing it's one big step towards normalcy in this country. Yeah. More and more people, including the president, perhaps. Um, Let me ask you, because we're running out of time. India is experiencing one of the worst covid outbreaks in the world right now. Hospitals there are overwhelmed. Crematoriums are burning throughout the night as the dead bodies pile up. I understand that the U.S., Uh, has begun sending some supplies to India to help. But the U.S. is also sitting on millions of doses doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which has not been approved for use in the U.S. 
why isn't the Biden administration releasing the AstraZeneca stockpile right now to save lives in India, which is a close ally of the United States in desperate, desperate need? So to be clear, Jake, there isn't some huge warehouse filled with AstraZeneca vaccines that we can just release at a moment's notice. The president earlier this week did announce that he is going to use the AstraZeneca vaccines that this country has ordered um, that have not been cleared, as you pointed out, for use in the United States, but that he is going to share them with the world. So India and other countries as well, because this is, as he said in his speech, this virus isn't going to be kept out by any wall. There's no wall high enough to keep the virus out. It's a global health emergency. And so the president has said, we have enough vaccine in the United States without AstraZeneca to vaccinate everybody who's eligible. Right now, those are people who are 16 years and older. And if you haven't gotten your vaccine, we would urge you to start doing it because it is the single best way to get back to normal in this country. But in terms of the AstraZeneca, as soon as it is ready to be shared with the world, we plan to share it. The president has said that. We also had our first aid flights to India land there on Friday. They mm -hmm. will continue. We are getting them essential products that they need urgently, oxygen, PPE. It's a global health crisis. Yeah. And unfortunately, what is going on in India is something that you know we have to worry about for the rest of the world as well. Right. Um, lastly, we're running out of time, uh, Anita. Uh, President Biden said in an interview that schools should probably all be open in the fall. Can you clarify, is it the Biden administration's position that all K-12 through schools should be back full in time, in-person learning, start of next school year? And is the Biden White House willing to push back on any teachers' unions or others who stake out any position to the contrary, not backed up by science? So, Jake, one of the great accomplishments of this administration and one the president is very proud of is that 80 percent of the teachers and school personnel in this country have now been vaccinated. If you recall, a couple of months ago, we um, the president made the announcement that we were going to have a special supply of vaccine dedicated precisely for this reason. Now, he said probably he didn't say absolutely. But given the science, if the vaccination program in this country proceeds. If people do go get their vaccines, there, he does believe that schools should be able to reopen in September and reopen safely following the CDC guidelines. But he said probably, he said, did not say absolutely, because we've all seen this since, unfortunately, January of 2020. It's an unpredictable yeah. virus. Sure it enough. is a virus that has, you know, it mutates. It's, so we can't look in a crystal ball and say what September looks like. But we do believe that if people, you know, go get their vaccine, they have doubts about it. They should ask their doctor. They should ask people who've already gotten it. Yeah. They should certainly do their own research. But if people get their vaccine, if schools follow the CDC guidelines, then, as he said, we probably should be able to have them open. All right. Anita Dunn, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Go enjoy this beautiful weather. In a party where it's bad okay. politics to simply say hello to the president, where's the room for compromise? I'm going to ask a senator known for working across the aisle. Senator Susan Collins joins me next live from Bangor, Maine. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper, former Republican presidential nominee and current Republican Senator Mitt Romney being booed down and narrowly avoided being censured by Utah's Republican Party last night. 
because of his criticism and vote to impeach former President Trump. It's just one more example of the Republican base's ongoing loyalty to former President Trump. The big question, of course, what now? Is there room for anything else? My next guest is a moderate Republican with a history of reaching across the aisle. She surprised a lot of people by decisively winning her seat again in 2020. Joining me now exclusively for her first national TV interview in quite a long time, Senator Susan Collins of Maine. She joins us live from Bangor. Senator, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jake. Great to join you. So you just heard from top White House advisor Anita Dunn laying out a case for the president's infrastructure package. Um, The $600 billion Republican proposal offered by Senator Capito and others is just a, a fraction of what Biden's offering. Now, you say that Biden's plan has $938 billion in traditional infrastructure. So are you willing to go that high on a compromise? Uh, $938 billion, $1 trillion. Uh, Is is that like a good point for discussion? Well, at this point, I think now that the Republicans have put forth a reasonable offer, it's up to the president to do a counteroffer to us. I would point out that if you look at all of the president's recent proposals, uh, they total more than $4.1 trillion. That's the amount that we spent to win World War II. So this is an enormous package when you take both the traditional core infrastructure parts and the huge expansion of social programs that the president is advocating. Yeah, I mean, in World War II dollars, of course, but I, I take your point. It's a, it's, a, it's, a big, right. it's a big proposal. Now, you've said that a modest increase in the corporate tax rate would be okay with you to help pay for in- infrastructure because Biden is proposing tax increases to try to pay for at least some of these proposals. The current uh, corporate tax rate is 21%. Uh, Biden wants 28%. Uh, would you be willing to meet in the middle at 25% or so? Well, let me tell you what I won't support. I won't support American businesses paying the highest corporate tax rate among developed countries in the world once again. And unfortunately, that's what 28 percent would be. And that means that jobs would once again go overseas. So I think we need to look at a wide variety of paid force, but First, we need to determine the scope of the bill, and we need to determine what the top line is going to be. There are a host of different ways to pay for it, and but that's premature to get to until we decide the amount and what exactly is it going to cover. Let me ask you, because some of your Republican colleagues have suggested that Biden's calls for bipartisanship were just campaign rhetoric, just a charade. And he's been governing uh, as a far left partisan Democrat. You served with Joe Biden in the Senate for quite some time. When's the last time you talked with him? Is he trying to win your vote? Is he trying to work with you? I last talked with him on Super Bowl Sunday. He called me out of the blue. At that point, we were talking about the COVID package. And uh, I was very disappointed having led a group of 10 Republicans who went to the White House 
with a good faith first offer on the COVID package. And the very next day, unfortunately, Senator Schumer triggered a process in the budget. It's known as reconciliation that essentially is used to block out the minority party. So this is going to be a test for Joe Biden. Uh, the Joe Biden that I knew in the Senate uh, was always interested in negotiation. I thought very highly of him. I like him. I worked with him. This is going to be a test on whether President Biden is truly interested in bipartisanship. If he is, we can get there on the core infrastructure package. And by that, I mean roads, bridges, highways, rail, waterways, and, uh, of course, broadband. Yeah. Reconciliation used to pass the, the Trump tax cuts, though, right? I'm sorry. Reconciliation was also used to pass the Trump tax cuts. I mean, it's not just Democrats who use that to shut out the minority party. Republicans just did it, too. There was a different approach that was used for the 2017 tax cuts. We did go through committee. There were extensive hearings. There was a markup. That's not what happened with the COVID package. Now, the president says that that is because it is an emergency. But in the case of infrastructure, we have time to go through the committee process, to hear from experts, to get diverse views, and to try to come together. And I hope very much that that is what we will do. And I have indicated to the two cabinet secretaries that I've talked recently to, uh, the Secretary of Commerce and the Secretary of Transportation, that I am willing to work very hard to achieve a consensus package. Let me ask you, the House just passed legislation to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. Uh, The legislation is now in the Senate. Where, Where are you on that? Washington, D.C. is a city. It's not a state. Now, there is a way to ensure that the residents of D.C. have voting representation in Congress, and that is for D.C. to become part of Maryland, just as parts of D.C. became parts of Virginia many years ago. That would give the residents of D.C. a new House member, and they would be represented in the Senate by Maryland senators. So I think that's a good way for us to approach this issue. There are also constitutional issues to be dealt with. Let me ask you, you're on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Federal investigators are looking into at least two incidents of the so-called Havana syndrome attacks in the United States, mysterious and invisible attacks leading to symptoms such as ear popping, vertigo, headaches, nausea. Uh, one of the attacks came near the White House. It sickened a national security official. You've been focusing on this on the Intelligence Committee. Uh, what have you learned that you can tell us how concerned should Americans be? I am absolutely outraged at these attacks on our American personnel serving overseas. They started in Havana or were first identified there. There's a mysterious direct energy weapon that is being used, and it is causing, in some cases, permanent traumatic brain injury. And yet, The personnel involved, there have been other attacks around the world, uh, have had a difficult time getting both the medical care and the financial help that they need 
from the CIA. And that is outrageous. What we need to do, and I'm introducing working on legislation, is to ensure they get the medical care and the, and the financial compensation that they need. And we need a whole of government approach to identify what adversary is targeting American personnel who are serving particularly overseas. But now we hear reports of cases here. I am hopeful that with the new CIA director, whom I've talked to about this issue twice, um, he is committed. And also the chair, uh, Mark Warner, and the vice chair, Marco Rubio of the Intelligence Committee, have announced that we're going to continue our investigations and get to the bottom of this absolutely outrageous attacks on our men and women who are serving our country. Let's turn to the state of the Republican Party. Your fellow Republican Senator Mitt Romney, who I believe is a friend of yours, he, he was booed by delegates at the Utah Republican Convention yesterday. What was your reaction when you saw that clip of him being booed and the close vote to censure him? I was appalled. Mitt Romney is an outstanding senator who serves his state and our country well. We Republicans need to remember that we are united by fundamental principles such as a belief in personal responsibility, individual freedom, opportunity, free markets, a strong national defense. Those are the principles that unite us. We are not a party uh, that is led by just one person. There are many uh, prominent, upcoming, younger men and women in our party who hold great promise for leading us. And I think that all of us who abide by those uh, principles should remember uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, admonition to Republicans that the person who agrees with you 70 or 80 percent of the time is your friend, not your enemy. And yet, if you look at what's going on in the House among Republicans, I mean, some Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise, are attacking and trying to undermine Congresswoman Liz Cheney uh, just for fist bumping Biden on the floor, also uh, for speaking out against Trump's lies uh, about the election. Uh, they're obviously also upset she voted to impeach the president. Is it politically dangerous to be a Republican like Liz Cheney, who tries to stand up for facts and truth regarding the election and the insurrection? Liz Cheney is a woman of strength and conscience, and she did what she felt was right, and I salute her for that. We need to be accepting of differences in our party. We don't want to become like too much of the Democratic Party, which has been taken over by the progressive left. We need to have rooms for a variety of views, especially since we adhere to those core principles that I mentioned earlier. After President Trump was impeached for the first time for urging Ukraine's president to investigate Joe Biden, you said that you believed, you hoped that the president had learned his lesson. Now, I know you said that that was aspirational. Um, but after Biden won, the president obviously attempted to overturn the legitimate election results. It culminated in the Capitol attack. Do you ever wonder that Trump did learn a lesson, but the lesson he learned was that he can get away with anything? 
Well, first of all, that was a, an interview that was grossly misedited. It chopped out the rest of what I said, which was in dealing with foreign governments, oh, okay. I hope that the president has learned the lesson. But to get to your point, um, it, it, I've been involved in three impeachment trials. I voted to acquit President Tw Clinton and President Trump the first time, to convict him the second time. In each case, what I have done is listen to the facts, apply the evidence, and follow the constitutional standard for, for convicting a president. My approach has not changed. I used exactly the same criteria, the criteria that the Constitution requires. In the first two cases, I did not feel that the conduct was proven to meet the highest bar for removing a president from office. In the third case, I felt it did. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't really a question about you, your behavior. It was a question about Trump uh, and whether or not uh, he, he learned the wrong lesson. Um, but let me ask you, as long as we're on the subject of, of, of your feelings about Trump, did you didn't say who you voted for in 2020. You're running for re-election. I, I certainly can understand that. Maine is a state with a lot of independents and independent-minded people. But now that the election's over, who did you vote for in 2020? <laughs> nice try, Jake. I got asked that a great deal. And uh, I'm going to keep my vote private. To me, the, my election was always all about who could better represent Maine and the country. I will work with whomever is the president. I've done that uh, with four presidents, and I'm going to continue to do that uh, with Joe Biden, with President Biden. Uh, to me, that's important, the ability to be able to work uh, with the president, whether or not the president is of your party, and also to be able to work across the aisle and forge bipartisan consensus on the many important issues that we face. And I hope to, to be successful in helping to forge a bipartisan infrastructure package. All right, Senator Susan Collins, uh, Republican of Maine, it's great to see you. Don't be such a stranger. Hope to have you on again sometime soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jake. John McCain has been gone for three years now. Would he even recognize the Republican Party today? His widow, Cindy McCain, on her husband's legacy and her possible role in a Biden administration. That's next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. President Biden is marking his first 100 days in office. But in Arizona, Republicans in the state Senate appear still to be stuck in November of last year, perhaps even stuck on a different planet, they've orchestrated a secretive review of ballots cast in the 2020 election, and really no part of it, from their motivations to their methods, stand up to any serious scrutiny. Joining me now is somebody who has her own history with the Arizona Republican Party, Cindy McCain, widow of former Senator John McCain, and author of the great new book, Stronger, Courage, Hope, and Humor in My Life with John McCain. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us, Cindy. It's always good to see you. So let me ask you Thank just you. about you. this bizarre episode going on in your home state six months after the election. Republicans <laughs> in Arizona doing something. It's just downright bizarre. They brought in a guy who's an election liar to lead an audit of ballots from Maricopa County, even though the election board there is led by Republicans. They're using ultraviolet light 
and other methods to examine ballots looking for evidence of voter fraud. Obviously the same lie that fueled the January 6th attack on the Capitol. What do you make of all this? Is the Arizona Republican Party undermining democracy? Oh, I, listen, the whole thing is ludicrous. Quite frankly, it's ludicrous. Um, and this also comes from a state party in Arizona that refused to be audited themselves on votes that were cast within their own party communications. So, uh, you know, it, it's it, the election is over. Biden won. Uh, I know many of them d- don't like the outcome, but, you know, elections have consequences. And so I, I you know, this does not surprise me, uh, you know, Things are just aloof and crazy out there right now with regards to the election. (laughs) Quite a contrast with uh, how your uh, late late husband lost the election in 2008 uh, when he, in his speech, told people to stand behind Barack Obama. I want to ask you about President Biden's uh, decision and and announcement to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. Obviously, uh, Senator McCain was was a decorated veteran. He's a staunch supporter of the U.S. mission in Afghanistan as chairman of the Armed Services Mm -hmm. Committee. And your son, Jack. Uh, deployed to Afghanistan. He flew mm-hmm. choppers there. He, he's constantly tweeting photographs of the Afghans uh, that he flew with. Um, yeah. But what, what's going through your mind now that this two-decade-long war is coming to an end? Well, I, you know, I've often thought what John would say right now, what he would be feeling and thinking about the pullout. And, and I think it would be more about how we pull out. Um, it's, you know, as you've seen, the Taliban and al-Qaeda are both kind of spinning back up again. And and so I don't know that I, I can't I'm not one to judge whether or not this is right or wrong. I'm, I don't have any military expertise, but I do know many li- lives were lost. And unless we do this the correct way, and I believe we will, I believe in the president um, that the 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 whole the whole effort will be for nothing unless we do it correctly. And so I think I've seen that our military leaders are 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 in favor of this to some degree. So I've, I have my best faith in what the president's decision has been. Speaking of the president, Politico reports that you're being vetted to be the ambassador to the United Nations World Food Program, uh, which would make you the first Republican appointed to a Senate-confirmed position in a Biden administration. Um, if Biden were to officially offer you that position, would you accept it? You know, right now I'm concentrating on three and a half grandbabies. We have another one on the way. And my work, as you know, on human trafficking and and human rights violations. So I would uh, listen. I'm proud for the work that I've done for the president. I you know, I was grateful to be able to endorse him and be a, a part of the of the campaign. So I will uh, in whatever way that he sees fit, I will be proud and honored to serve. It's going to be three years in August since uh, your husband's passing. Um, you've said in other interviews that writing this book helped you with the grieving mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, President mm-hmm. Biden is fond of saying that the day will come when the thought of a lost loved one will bring a smile to your lips before it brings yeah. a tear to your eye. He's a man that knows from grief. Um, have you reached that right. yet where the memory of, of Senator McCain makes you smile before it makes you sad? I'm getting there. I really am. I mean, he obviously, writing, as you said, writing this book has been very cathartic for me. And it gave me, because of COVID, because that's the, the period of time that I wrote it, um, it, it really helped me grieve because I hadn't faced that yet. And so I, I, I'm almost there. You know, it's hard, though. It's, it's, you know, it's a process and nobody else's process is like your own and you have to be able to do it on your own. So... Um, it, it's helpful. It's been, it's been nice to relive a lot of the really fun things that I did with him. 
Um, what about all the life that is being brought into the McCain land? Does, does that does that help at all? Yeah. Megan just had a baby. Jim, oh, Jimmy, really? Jimmy's about to have his second baby. This is does it does it help? Does it have an effect? Oh, it has a great effect. I mean, life goes on. Uh, Jimmy's first baby, Luke, was born almost to the day uh, that John died. And so there's something in that that tells me that he, you know, that John obviously wanted us to move on. And and that's uh, very, very much a part of this. But it's so exciting. I just love it to death. I really do. All right. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying being a grandma and uh, maybe you'll be an ambassador and we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you then, I assume. Congratulations on the book, Cindy. Good to see you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. The House Minority Leader repeats an already debunked lie about Joe Biden as the Hamburglar. Is nonsense just now part of the House GOP platform? Stay with us. Facts and truth often get beaten up on their way to you. There's context, spin, narrative, people make mistakes. But I want to talk today about the notion of just downright falsehoods, lies, inventions, because there were several moments this week in which complete and utter nonsense was injected into mainstream politics. One was a story that twisted the conclusions of an academic paper from 2020 about reducing greenhouse gases to essentially invent the idea that President Biden's climate plan will limit Americans to one hamburger a month. It it was nonsense. Biden had nothing to do with any proposal like that. The story was reported by the usual MAGA media, but it was so false, by last Monday, even some of them acknowledged the lie and issued corrections. Nonetheless, on Wednesday, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy was still out there pushing the lie about Biden as Hamburglar. He wants control of your life. He's going to control how much meat you can eat. Can you imagine that? Can I imagine that? I mean, I would like to imagine a House Republican leader who didn't find it so easy to lie to the American people. But too many leaders of the GOP are just all in on pure nonsense. Last Monday, the chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna Romney McDaniel, tweeted, quote, After learning officials are handing out Kamala Harris's book to migrants in facilities at the border, it's worth asking, was Harris paid for these books? Is she profiting from Biden's border crisis? Unquote. This was a reference to another downright lie, a story that first appeared in the New York Post that grabbed a photo of one copy of the children's book by the vice president in a shelter and invented this fiction that the book was being handed out in welcome kits given to migrant children at a shelter in Long Beach, California. Not true. And that Harris was, as McDaniel falsely suggested, quote, profiting from Biden's border crisis, unquote. None of it's true. It was one book donated to the shelter. The New York Post deleted the story. Then they rewrote it. The so-called journalist who wrote it up no longer works for the Post. She said it was an incorrect story she was forced to write. The Post denies that. In any case, the story about the vice president's book was a lie. It was all made up. Guess what? Ronna McDaniel's tweet is still up. Why? Well, why not? I mean, this tweet's still up from the organization she runs, the Republican National Committee, featuring prevaricating attorney Sidney Powell falsely claiming, quote, President Trump won in a landslide, unquote. 
The same lies fueling this deranged recount going on in Arizona this week, led by another election liar and encouraged down in Mar-a-Lago. I wouldn't be surprised if they found thousands and thousands and thousands of votes. I mean, it is just incredible that that sad scene represents what so many folks consider intimidating. Lie after lie after lie. Look, I'm not talking about opinions. If people want to rail against Biden's border policies or his $6 trillion worth of proposals or whatever, have at it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about made up convoluted crap. And it's having an impact. Look at the polls showing that almost half of Republican voters will likely refuse to get vaccinated. While Republican leaders with zero medical expertise, zero, such as Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, take to the airwaves to contradict health experts urging vaccinations. Because it's not a fully approved vaccine, um, I think we probably should have limited the distribution to it to, to, the real, to the vulnerable. I mean, what is this? Does he really think every one of the more than 576,000 people in the U.S. who have died and the millions who have gotten very sick, does he think every one of them was just in the really vulnerable group? Because they were not. Is Senator Johnson trying to get more Americans sick? We have multiple vaccines that work. Trump got vaccinated. The incentive structure in the Republican Party and its media does not punish those who spread bad medical advice or lies. In fact, quite the opposite. Telling the truth as a Republican official can be hazardous to your political health. Here's Utah Senator Mitt Romney yesterday being booed at the Utah Republican Convention. Romney was trying to criticize Biden's policies and his approach, but it was a struggle for him to get those words out because of his words and votes previously against Trump. House conference chair Liz Cheney of Wyoming has been attacked for standing up for the facts about the election and supporting the impeachment of Trump for inciting the January 6th insurrection. This week after Cheney came out in support of a commission that would focus on the insurrection, McCarthy and his deputy Steve Scalise, both all in election liars, started attempting to undermine Cheney in earnest. As Congressman Anthony Gonzalez, another House Republican who voted to impeach former President Trump, told our Manu Raju this week, quote, if a prerequisite for leading our conference is lying to our voters, then Liz is not the best fit, unquote. It's my opinion that the United States needs a healthy, thriving, fact-based Republican Party. It is difficult to look at these events, all of them just from the last week, and conclude that we have one. A look at the debate over policing reform from vantage points you might not have seen before. That's next. A bipartisan group in Congress is still working hard to try to find compromise on policing reform, but in the meantime, police shootings have, of course, not stopped. My co colleague W. Kamau Bell dives into that topic this evening with a look at the current state of policing in America as seen through the eyes of activists, organizers, politicians, victims, and police themselves. 
It's time for a new season of United Shades of America. We're going to have a conversation. We have a conversation. That's, that's all I do. <laughs> and you know, we got a lot to talk about. I'm glad we're getting right in the deep end. <laughs> it does matter that you are not harming anybody, but also that you're proactively being anti-racist, like being oh, yes. anti-transphobic. Oh, yeah. When I say white supremacy, I'm not just talking about white people. I shouldn't be going out there with pepper spray and a baton just to keep myself safe for preaching that my life matters. The system is broken. It needs to be completely stripped down, bare bones, and rebuilt. We're not just fighting against something, we're fighting for something. So it's about research to collect the evidence, and then how do you put that out into the world? We have a website. We have a website. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're asking questions people haven't thought about before. I'm having some virtual reality low self-esteem. <laughs> A new season of United Shades of America with W. Kamau Bell premieres tonight at 10 on CNN. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.